Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our gospel reading is picking up in Luke chapter 1, where previously, if you had been reading, you would have seen two different angel encounters. The first is Zechariah, where the angel Gabriel came and told him that his wife Elizabeth would give birth to her son, even in her old age, and that God had heard their prayers. If you remember, Zechariah doubted, and so he was made mute until the baby John would be born, who the angel said that baby would prepare the way for the Lord. The second angel encounter we get comes six months later to Mary, who was told that she has found favor, she was chosen, was blessed in God's eyes, and that she would give birth to the Savior of the world, Jesus. And now I'm going to put up the verses that were just wonderfully read for us by Dr. Sankfile. I'm not going to even try to read them because your voice is so much deeper and manlier than mine. But if you've got your Bibles, we are going to look at verse 39. We're going to go all the way through. It's in your bulletin as well. And like I said, I'm not going to read it, but I do want to put it up so that it can help you remember. See, Mary, having learned from the angel that she's going to give birth to the Son of God, she goes off and she's hurrying to visit her pregnant relative Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea to see what was given as proof to her. Now, this intimate conversation that follows is going to show us that just like the angel has said, Jesus, the child in Mary's womb, is going to be greater than John. It's also going to show us in a very subtle way that God is already at work overturning the world's structures and expectation. See, the spotlight here shines on Mary and Elizabeth, two lowly and shamed women through whom God has chosen to begin the transformation of the world. Women who are so often overlooked, ignored both in society and in the biblical narratives have the only speaking roles here. Because you'll remember Zechariah is mute. John's not born. And John's in the womb. He's a baby. He can't talk. But he does leap. And he acknowledges both Mary's presence and the significance of the child she carries. And I love that baby John's reaction to Mary's voice is going to fulfill Gabriel's prophecy that even before his birth, This child, John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit. That even in the womb, already, John is pointing out who Jesus is. And some might think, you know what, that's a really cute detail, the whole baby leaping in the womb. I love that. But if you dig a little deeper in Scripture, you'll find that a child is known even before they are formed in the womb. The Scripture says God knits them together by Himself. That every child is precious and known by God, even before they are born. And though Luke shows and signals that the unborn child's leaping is being prompted here by the Holy Spirit, isn't it interesting that Elizabeth, John the Baptizer's mother, takes on the role here of prophet. And she too is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she proclaims what Mary has yet not even told her. She proclaims what is not even visible to the eye, that Mary is pregnant. And in these next verses here, did you see that it's through the Spirit she knows who Mary's child will be? She utters that line and says that Mary is the mother of my Lord. And not only does Elizabeth prophesy here, but she also blesses. 
by declaring both Mary and the fruit of Mary's womb blessed, she begins this series of blessings that weave through the birth of Jesus and Luke's narrative and intensify in their tone of joy, of hope, of love, and of praise. See, as this story keeps going, Mary, then Zechariah, then some angels, then some shepherds, Simeon, all are going to start adding their blessings to this chain of praising God for what God is doing at this moment in this exact time to these real people in history and recognizing that those people are privileged to be instruments of God's saving work. And anyone who is that can consider themselves richly blessed. Mary is blessed not only for her status as the mother of Jesus, She's also blessed because she trusts in God's promises. See, Elizabeth emphasizes that both present and future, that's us generations, will praise and speak well of Mary and will call her blessed for giving birth to this, her child, as well as that Jesus himself will be blessed, pointing out that Mary's blessed because despite all expectations, despite of her status, now her social status has been reversed. And that's one of the themes of Luke's gospel. See, she will be honored rather than shamed for bearing this child. And she will be blessed with joy because she believed that God is able to do what God says he does. And so when Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord, she's contrasting. Zechariah didn't believe, but Mary does. Zechariah demanded proof for what God would say came. Mary gave her willing consent. Which means that the religious professional, the one who should have believed right away, doubted. But the peasant girl believed. Elizabeth celebrates that Mary said yes to God. And I don't want us to miss this. Because when Elizabeth greets Mary with honor, Elizabeth is beginning this overturning of social expectations that God has started. And this is what I mean. You have an unmarried woman. You might expect that an unmarried woman who is pregnant is going to face social judgment. She's going to face shame, even ostracism, probably from her own relative. But isn't it interesting that Elizabeth knows all too well shame. She knows all too well about being ostracized and excluded. Because she lived at the same time where when a woman couldn't give birth to a baby, then she had no value. And as an elderly lady who was infertile, she had been treated her whole life like a failure. And the response to this pregnancy is nothing but joy. There's a pattern that God has started. And there's a pattern that the more time we spend in Luke, you will see. It's one of reversing expectations, one of reversing social structures, one of reversing purpose. Elizabeth opens her arms, her home, to a relative who most people would expect to be rejected and shamed. But she shows us how to bless how to celebrate 
and how to treat someone with honor. Thus something shameful like a pregnancy instead becomes joyful and worth celebrating. And this inclusive love that Elizabeth shows and then Jesus continues to live out and show shows it to prostitutes and sinners. Jesus shows it to the sick, to the diseased, who he himself will touch, to the outcast, to the John Trouden. This way of seeing behind what other people consider shameful instead is welcomed, embraced, and reached out to. And in every commentary I read this week, it said this is the part where the preacher really needs to tell people to open their eyes and to see those who are downcast, those who are, who are feeling shameful, and do their best to open and welcome them. And I just don't know, I mean, I, I do agree with that, but I don't know if that's the main point. I think the call is a little bit deeper. I don't think the call is to just look and see who is usually shamed and I'm going to go and be nice to them. The call is to look in the mirror and to begin the reversal and the change of our own heart. To see that small and insignificant things that you choose to do through the Spirit, like Elizabeth does here, that maybe nothing in the world's eyes begin to be something more. Because the reversal, God is saying, needs to start with you and I. He's calling us to be humble, to be ready, to be open, to get involved. And today I get to stand up here and smile because I look out and I can see that that is already happening. I look out and I see ladies who quilt every third Saturday, who give hope and peace to people by dropping off blankets to them and letting them know that they're seen and prayed for. I see nurses who put band-aids on little children even though they're retired. I see men who do yard work for vulnerable families and don't ask for anything in return. I see people who drop off groceries and food. I see men and women who stuff bulletins every morning at 7 a.m. and back so that we can follow along and pray. I see men and women who sit with adults with developmental disabilities, learn their names and laugh with them. I see ladies who rock crying babies and men who teach them how to play cards, people who have gone to foreign countries and built schools and safe places, people who have gone down to Mexico to build homes and churches, men who move pallets, sort apples, people who hold up stop signs, who take children to their therapy sessions and teach them how to read, who take little children to school go to their baseball games and encourage them, who hold up a child's hand and show them how to light a candle as we all watch. Men and women who bring the sacrament to those who are ill and can't come, bring the church to them. When you open your eyes, you can look around and you can see that great reversal taking place already. And I know that you will find that the great reversal isn't about upending politics, but instead, that it has everything to do with our heart and with living lives of compassion and kindness and joy. The reversal starts when we put to death the love of money and the seeking of power and instead come back to the God himself who is love 
and we start cutting through all the noise that is going to come our way and all the lies that tell us what we're supposed to care about and recognize that here, the voice of God Himself is calling us to a change, to a reversal, that even if you are an old barren woman or you are a young virgin, that there is purpose and meaning found in a child. And don't forget that, yes, of course, that child was Christ, but Jesus Christ is found in every little child for what we do for the least of these matters. And I call on you to not just see what I see, but to be like the ones that are sitting next to you. And you will find the truth of how one, one, little, or, uh, one little widow gave a couple of coins, did more than all the rest because she gave from her heart and from who she was. Something that seemed small and insignificant changed and brought the reverse. The reversal is for you to be like your Savior, to choose His ways over your own. And then when you pray, you will trust like Elizabeth and Mary did that God is coming that He will save and free us from all of these things that we have been shackled to. You will learn to give thanks that God has taken away all of our shame and that now we can respond in goodness and compassion, that we can become the community that supports one another. And we could spend hours looking at Mary and Elizabeth as models of faith and how best to emulate them, but the story keeps going. And it shows us something that's going to happen multiple more times in this birth narrative. It shows us singing. And it's not the singer that focuses on it, but the song of God and what He has done, what He accomplishes through His Son and through us whom He calls. Look at this song. It's a very small font, I know. Take your time. This story is filled with singing. Mary sings this. Zechariah is going to sing in a little bit. Then some angels are going to sing when you're here on the 24th. Simeon's going to sing the next week after that. Why so much singing? Why so much praising God? Because Luke understands the same way the psalmist did of old Israel, that there are powerful songs that need to be sung. Laments that express our grief and our fear so that we can honor these deep and difficult emotions that live in us, but we simultaneously strip them of their power when we give ourselves to our Lord. Songs of praise and thanksgiving that each one of us sings, uniting us, uniting us to the Father to whom we lift our voices. Hymns of courage and promise that give a name to our hope, the name that is above all names because songs are power, and this one especially so. Did you catch that all of the verbs are in the past tense? That Mary recognizes that she is being drawn into a relationship with God Himself, the one who has been siding with the oppressed and downtrodden since the beginning, the one who has been making and keeping promises since the time of Abraham. And through her singing, Mary promises that the Holy One of Israel came to her in a mundane, her unspecial life and has turned it all upside down. And we sing the same thing, that God meets us right where we are, 
No matter how unbelievable it may seem, how boring and mundane our lives may be, that God meets us in the daily activities to bring hope and joy and restoration. We're not going to break down this song verse by verse or compare it to 1 Samuel, though I know you're going to want to, Ron, so you write that down in your notes in your Bible. But look how truly incredible it is that it's in the past tense. She sings as if it's already been done and the baby's not even born. You know why she does that? Because from Mary's perspective, the future is so certain that she can speak of it as if it's already happened. The future is so certain that it can be spoke of as if it already happened. So certain that what the Messiah does is done forever and changes everything. And we too hold on to that. We too believe that that the promises of God that He has spoken over each one of us in our baptism are so certain that the promises that He gives us of Himself here at the table are so certain that they are unchangeable. And we rejoice and we do it all through singing. Because whatever your favorite song or hymn is, when you gather together, and sit side by side next to these people around you. And you sing to God about the hope and the consolation we have in Him. We get swept up into that wonderful divine work that He's doing. And if you think it's just a few voices gathering together to sing a few songs or just one little girl singing on top of a hillside, don't ever forget that these small songs, those small acts, are part of God's redemptive plan and that there is power behind them. So shall it be, so shall it is, and so it ever shall be. Amen.